In our first shiurim, we discussed the parameters of when and how poskim assess the primary sources of psak and how they determine the halacha based on it. Now we move more systematically to the second factor that we discussed in psak, namely how do poskim deal with the interpretations offered on halachic issues by previous halachic authorities. Now one issue that we've discussed already, but it's worth returning to now, is our poskim in fact bound to follow the majority position of previous authorities? We know that in halacha, a central rule of psak is acharei rabim lahatot, that we follow the majority position. However, as we already noted in our shir, on psikat halacha b'shadat on halachic rulings in extenuating circumstances, the parameters of that rule are in question. And there's a central machlokas between the shach and the bach, as to when exactly that rule applies. Meaning, does that rule apply even in a case where <clears throat> there is no formal vote? The classic case in which after which following majority is introduced is a case of Beitin, where there is a formal vote, and then it's easy to count and determine who the majority is, who the minority is, and rule in accordance with the majority position. The Shah, however, extends this and assumes that even outside the context of Beitin, even when there is no formal vote, even there is, when there is no Nimnu Vigamro, there is no case where they voted and counted, we still follow the position of Rov. And therefore, the Shah in general hesitates and believes that one cannot follow the minority position in cases of Sharat Chak, because he assumes that it is, in fact, binding to follow the Rabbim, to follow the majority from a biblical perspective. And therefore, when determining the way in which previous authorities have ruled, the Shach assumes that we simply follow the majority. The Bach, on the other hand, assumes that this is not the case. And the Bach assumes that the rule of Rove, that the rule of following majority is in fact limited to cases in which we're talking about a vote. And therefore, under, under non-Bezdin circumstances, the quote-unquote majority of Poskim does not get the final say necessarily. Now we noted as well that both Rav Yaakov Emden and Riosim Eibshitz contend that even if in theory the Shach would be correct, and when determining a halachic issue, one should look at the majority of previous authorities and rule in accordance with the majority. Practically, that's not how Psak works. I mean, that for a simple reason. And that is that it's very hard, if not impossible, to determine what rove is. Meaning, what would, it, what would that even look like? If you have a Beit Din and you can have a vote, so then we know. We know how many people are on the court. We know what a majority would look like. We count and then we determine the halachic conclusion. However, when we're dealing with a case outside of Betin, even if in theory you would think that we should follow Rove, you're talking about a Rove across time, across space, a Rove of poskim, not all of whom wrote books, not and even those who wrote books, and even those who may have indeed poskim any particular issue, they may not have written their psak down on this particular issue, and a host of other practical issues make it that it is impossible 
to figure out what the rov should be in a case of in a case uh, outside of Beitin, in a case in which you do not have um, a very limited um, sample set. And therefore, for practical purposes, they assume that the rule of rove cannot be invoked. Does that mean that the majority of, interpre- of interpreters of previous authorities are irrelevant? So obviously that's not the case. Because as we've discussed before, when we're dealing with Psak, we, we have to divide between formal rules, things that are absolutely binding, and things that, even if not binding, may be good guides for Psak. And for many reasons that we've discussed, in, when we were uh, talked about why precedent is, is as important as it is, one may believe that even if not formally bound to follow the majority of poskim as a general rule, it is a good idea to look at the majority of poskim, as one can tell. Again, taking into account the point of Yaakov Emden and Riosan Ibschitz, and say, yes, I don't know for sure that this is the majority, but having read through the relevant halachic literature, having read through, let's say, Shulchan Aruch, Nosei Kalim, a sampling of contemporary postkim, it seems to me that the majority of postkim point in a certain direction. Even if one thinks one is not bound to follow that psak, it may be that one will think that that's a good idea, that that is still a decent way of assessing what the, what the halacha should be. If one looks at the introduction to the Beit Yosef that we've turned to several times, one gets the feeling that at some level this is what he believed. And in his explanation for why he follows the position of the Rambam, the Rif, and the Rush, he says that, he says, I will follow the Rif, Rambam, and Rush, unless it turns out that the majority of postgame, as I see it, rule differently, and the Minhag therefore follows the majority. And here you see that while the Beit Yosef has a rule, when he has a sense of a rove, when he has a sense the majority goes against these three great poskim, he will follow it. Again, this doesn't seem to be formal. Um, earlier, when he's explaining why he follows those three poskim, he says, He says, I can't go back to primary sources because... Everyone has a contention. Everyone has a response. I just don't believe that I have anything more to say. New arguments and responses. And who thinks that they can enter amongst the mountains and come up with new arguments that they haven't thought of? We're not as smart as them, etc. And the feeling you get from the Beit Yosef is that even if, in fact, it's not a formal rule, it might just make sense. We're talking about previous authorities who are very smart, who we believe to 
have with integrity and with intelligence and with diligence tried to understand the Misora, and if we determine that a majority of them or a significant group of them rule in a certain way, that is a good indication of what the Psaq should be. And therefore, even if one rejects the position of the Shach, and one does not think that one is bound to follow the majority of Poskim, or alternatively, one thinks in theory maybe you would, but agrees with Yaakov Emtin and Riodas and Ibshis, that practically it's impossible to determine Rove, it still may be that for practical purposes, or simply the belief that what the majority of Poskim, as you see it, have said about a particular issue is a good indication of what the truth probably is, all of that may mean that for practical purposes, one will follow some version of a rove, some version of looking at a majority of, of uh, halachic authorities when determining psak. And that is one approach in terms of balancing the second factor in psak once we've moved past the independent interpretation of the canonical sources, this is one approach to introducing the relevance of previous interpreters of the Masorah, of previous authorities, and that is following either a formal approach or at least a practical, pragmatic approach to uh, truth, to Rove. Um, however, um, as we've noted, this is not, according to many postkim, a formal rove, and therefore it is possible that there are other rules that should be introduced when assessing the weight of previous uh, postkim. So if you continue looking in the shach, and you look at his klali psak, you'll see that there's a discussion, uh, even within the shach who does accept rove, of what happens if the rove that we're talking about are not of the same authority. So, for example, he writes, He said, let's say you have a student and a teacher who are introduced into this equation. So then what do you do? So, he argues that when it's a student and a teacher, so then the rule changes. And in fact, you do not follow the position of the Talmud because the position of the Rav has more weight. And this is another factor that Postkim will introduce. Now, it happens to be that if you look at the Ran in Shabbat, he's not necessarily convinced that this is always the case. But again, this is the second type of rule that might be introduced. Namely, even if you believe that you should follow the majority, if it turns out that the authorities in question are not of equal stature, or even more, even more, as in this case, the authorities in question are actually dependent on each other, meaning the student is dependent on the Rav in a certain halachic sense, then it may be legitimate or in fact obligatory to follow a position that is not the Rav, or to take into account other factors such as the relative stature of those of those previous authorities. The Ramah in Choshen Mishpat, Simen Chavhei, Sif Beis, makes an even more general rule, not just Talmid Makom Harav, but he writes that 
דווקא אם שני החולקים הם שווים. אבל אין סומכין על דברי קטן נגד דברי גדול. It's not just when you're talking about a teacher, any student, but in fact the Ramah writes that if it's a lesser posig against a greater posig, דברי גדול ממנו בחוכמה ובמניין, אפילו בשעת חג. Not only does he think that under normal circumstances you can't follow the lesser posig, but he thinks that even under extenuating circumstances one cannot follow the, the, the lesser posig. פוסק, unless אמכן היה גם כן הפסד מרובה. Unless he thinks it is not just a regular שעת חג, but one in which there is monetary loss as well. Now we're not going to return to the full discussion of פסיקת הלכה בשעת חג, but again from the Ramah what you see is that when gauging the relative weight of previous פוסקים, the only determinant is not simply the numbers. of how many poskim said something, but it's also the relative authority of that posseg. Hence, the Ramah believes that even Bishadat Chak, except for the most extenuating circumstances, one will not rely on a lesser posseg against a greater posseg. And the Bach believes that at least when you're dealing with Talmid B'makom HaRav, so then you give even more authority to the Rav over uh, the Talmid. Now, what happens if, in fact, you sense that there is a majority of poskim that go in a certain direction, but not for the same reason? Meaning that you think in a particular case, the psakim of certain poskim will align, or different poskim come to the same conclusion, but not for the same argument, and therefore there isn't necessarily an argument that itself is supported by the majority of poskim. What type of weight does that have? So the Ramah here writes, that um, the Ramah here seems to follow more of a Shach approach, that you do follow Rabbim, he says, אפילו אין הרבים מסכימים מטעם אחד, אלא כל אחד יש לו אותם בפני עצמו. הוול, והם מסכימים לעניין הדין, נקראו רבים וזינלן בתראיו. The Ramah basing himself on the Maharik. Notes. That we follow the Rove, even if they... agree for different reasons. Again, this is another factor. When we're talking about Rove, one way of looking at Rove is that the postgame agree for the same reason a particular svara is supported. But on the other hand, either for form, in a formal sense or a non-formal sense, one may postgame like a certain position simply because practically it is supported by a majority of postgame. Now, if you continue in the Ramah, another factor, and this one we'll have to return to in more detail, is the possibility that even if there is a majority psaq, and a psaq that most people should follow, when we're talking about the weight given to previous authorities, there is a notion in halacha that not all communities have the same relationship to every posaic. The classic model of this was Amara Da'atra, which in the Gemara literally means the master of the place, the local rabbinic authority. And the Ramah writes, Not just if you have a living posseg, um, which we'll return to, a mara where we know that the poskim write, um, and the Gemara writes about this at length in Shabbat, that a community has the right and responsibility, perhaps, to follow their local authority, Even if a authority in the past had ruled in accordance with a particular position, and a minhag had developed 
in a community to follow that position. So that may override the normal rules of Rove and Talmid Makom Rav and Gadol Makom Katan and the like. So again, when we talk about previous authorities, there are several types of factors that must be taken into account. One is the numbers, again, formally or not formally, Shach versus Bach. The question of the relative authority of the Poseik, more generally, Gadol and Katan, a greater authority and a lesser authority, more specifically, a Rav and a Talmid. What if the Poskim are student and teacher? Another factor that must be brought in is even if, in general, the proper psak is to follow the majority or there's a consensus psak, there is legitimacy to following a local authority or even a minhag that's developed in light of a previous local authority uh, and the like. And all these types of factors really complicate what it means for someone, for a posig, who wants to determine the halakha based on an understanding of the direction developed by previous authorities um, in terms of figuring out what exactly it means to follow the trajectory of these previous authorities. Um, other rules, that if you continue in the Ramah, he introduces yet other complications. So Ramah introduces a rule that when earlier authorities write one thing, but the later authorities who are aware of the previous authorities rule differently, so halacha kibatrai, we follow the later authorities, uh, which was a rule that became quite popular in Ashkenaz. Um, but then he complicates it yet farther, and he says, while it's true that when weighing authorities, we may give more weight to later authorities because we assume that they were aware of the previous authorities when they issued their halachic rulings, um, under some circumstances, there is no such assumption that the earlier authorities were aware, that the later authorities were aware of the earlier authorities. And therefore, he says, If one follows, finds the position of an early posseg, of a gaon, who is not mentioned in the Torah, then you can override the Batrai, you can override the later authority. Because then, one can entertain the possibility that the later authorities did not in fact see the earlier authority, and had they seen the earlier authority, they would not agree with, uh, or they would not follow the position that they in fact took and would change their mind. The, I, I remember once that I was at a shir by Rabovadia Yosef, and Rabovadia argued, and he, this appears as well in his Truvot, that in, he's willing to use this methodology sometimes even against the Beit Yosef. That even if one assumes that you have to follow the position of the Beit Yosef in cases in which the Beit Yosef, who was trying to be encyclopedic, did not see his source, and it turns out that that is 
that there is a position that's different than them, then perhaps one can, even if one is convinced one should always follow that Yosef, perhaps it would be legitimate not to. Um, in this particular shear, Ruvad Yosef uh, noted that in a tshuva of the Shuman Adeshen, um, concerning the issue of standing for Kriyat Torah of the Aserat Adibrot, the Truman Adeshen takes a position on the assumption that um, the Rishonim had not weighed in the direction that Misvara he would have agreed with. Um, and Ravadya noted that if one looks at the Chuvat Harambam, there are various versions of the Chuvat Harambam that have been published, and by following the publication dates, one can see that the position that the Truman Adeshen entertained theoretically was found in the Chuvat Harambam, but only those Chuvat Harambam that were published after the Truman Adeshen published his Sefer. And therefore, Ravadya thought it was legitimate, based on a rule like the Ramah, to not only rule differently than Truman Adeshen, but to count the Truman Adeshen as an authority, possibly the opposite of what, in fact, he said, um, in light of the new evidence from the Rambam. Um, and again, what that indicates is that trying to determine what, how we weigh previous authorities, especially when those previous authorities themselves are in conversation with the authorities before them, is quite complicated. So again, to review the rules, or the types of rules that we've seen, one type of rule is looking at numbers. Again, formally or informally. Another type of rule is looking at greatness. Another type of rule is Rebbe Talmud. Another is looking about looking at when was the Psak issued. And can you assume that the authorities you're looking at, uh, at already took into account the positions of those before them and therefore give pre- do we give prominence to the later authorities because their position itself reflects a holistic view of the tradition of precedent. And does that change if you know that, in fact, the later positions were not informed by positions that you are now, um, that you now have access to? Now, again, we will return to some of these issues because they get complicated. The Ramah here is assuming that one can change the, the psak based on a, previ- a previously unknown source. The extent of this, though, has been a very complicated discussion, especially in 20th century Psak, as to the weight given to manuscripts as we continuously find and publish new manuscripts of Rishonim, and particularly the position of the Chazanish on this issue, has been um, debated in several uh, in several contexts. Um, but in this year, I'm just trying to paint a general picture of the types of factors that are brought to bear even if one wants to weigh precedent and one wants to develop a halachic position in light not of independent interpretation of the canonical sources, but one wants to follow that second prong of psak and weighing precedent, how exactly does one go about this? And even this quick survey of the issues indicates that how we go about it is indeed quite complicated. Um, to complicate things uh, even further, um, the Gemara in Yevamot, when discussing Beit Hil- the positions of Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, the Gemara introduces the possibility that perhaps you would have thought that 
you can follow Beit Shammai because because they were sharper. Um, now the Batkol, as the Gemara records it, indicates that in fact we follow the position of Beit Hillel. But this notion that perhaps we should follow Beit Shammai because they're sharper comes back into Psach where Poskim entertain this notion. And again, we've seen some of this already, that in addition to the question of numbers, another factor that must be brought in is the relative authority of the Posaic. Now here, there's no particular reason to assume that Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai were greater than um, the others in terms of being Talmud and Rebbe. Obviously, they were competing schools. But the Gemara says that at least a potential factor in Psach should have been um, the question of who is more, who is more, who is sharper. Um, now, does that play in to to later psak? Now, there is a surprising position found in Rav Haigon, um, which brings the relevance of this this factor of mechad de tvei. Um, back into the halachic discussion in a very, very extreme way. The Ramban and Sanhedrin, Daflamid Bet, write that Matsati Bain Shuvotav Shah Rabbeinu Haigonzal, Vim Nechlokub Beitin Shem Shlosha, Nechoramar Kachu Shnaimar Mimkach, Im Shavim Bechochma, Manichin Divre Yachid, Vosin Divre Shnaim, Vim Echara Difmina Shemochinachar Mishna Tam Tam Lidvarav. Rav Haigon writes, Until now we've assumed that the rule of Rove, definitely in the context of Bezdin, in the context of a court, will always win. And if there's a formal vote, you follow majority. And perhaps this notion of mechad is only in, in less um, formal context. However, um, it's possible that in the case of Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, in fact, there were votes. And based on, I assume, based on something along those lines, of Haigon argues that in a case where you have a Bezdin of three, while normally we will follow the majority, two versus one, he argues that in fact, if one of them is smarter and gives better reasons for his uh, for his position, we will follow the one against the two. Now, obviously, if one thinks that even in the context of Bezdin, when there is a formal vote, under certain circumstances, one will follow the sharper arguments or the sharper postsake rather than the majority, um, then, of course, when we're determining halacha outside the context of Bezdin, where we're not dealing with formal votes, um, this type of direction would really give much more weight to the weight, to the um, acuity of the posek, to the strength of the arguments uh, offered, rather than to pure numbers. Now, the Ramban himself is not uh, convinced by this position of uh, of Haigon, and um, one can look in the Ramban there uh, in Sanhedrin, um, in a longer discussion in the Shem HaGdolim, Marech HaGdolim Ot Yud, um, Ot Reish Chavdalid, on Rabbeinu Yaakov HaChasid, um, as well as the Shut Marashdam, or Chaim Zimun Lamed Zayin, for further discussion um, of, these, of these issues. Um... But again, this type of discussion highlights that when determining the relative weights of previous postgim, it is not always simple and may not come down simply to a numbers game. One must weigh as well the weight of the individual postsake and the strength of the arguments that are offered. 
Um, in coming weeks, we will zero in on some of these issues. Um, as I mentioned before, the question of how do you deal with positions that are found in manuscripts and the like. But again, to quickly summarize what we've seen, as we've talked about in the past, PSAC is determined by fundamentally three factors. Determining what the primary sources say, what previous authorities have said, and what the custom is. And what we've seen today is that even if one wants to determine halakha based on previous authorities, one has to deal with the question of whether one gives preference to numbers, the authority of the poskim, the strength of the argument that those poskim have made, the relationship between the poskim, are they students of each other, weight has to be given to local authorities or even positions that have become customary due to the positions of previous local authorities. What we must understand is how exactly these factor work, factors work, um, how exactly the authority of a local postsake works, how we deal with authorities that haven't been that that haven't been part of the halachic discussion, um, and one more question that I would throw out is, um, depending on how we approach these rules of rove and mechadade um, and the relative importance of expertise versus sheer numbers, um, the types of reasons that we believe that these are uh, important will come back when we uh, explore how one determines mitziut, how one assesses reality for the purpose of halachic decision making. And as we will see, there is a dispute amongst post scheme as to whether, when it comes to psak, it's legitimate to talk about rove and sharper post scheme and rebbe and talmud and the like. But when dealing with mitziut, uh, none of these factors are uh, are relevant. Um, however, there are poskim who think that if these types of rules help us determine what the, the best answer is when it comes to halacha, in terms of the theoretical halachic position, um, then the same may be, can, be, be the same for determining mitziyut. Um, and therefore, the types of discussions that we will be having in the next few weeks about how we determine um, halacha based on precedent will come back when we attempt to understand the ways in which poskim assess reality when they're determining not the theoretical halakha, but when they're trying to apply that halakha to the reality on the ground.